The book dream inside you cannot wait. Never before have so many people questioned, what do I really want to be doing? For a lot of us, that means writing a book. Long-deferred dreams, pandemic pause, and the solitude to make them happen means the time is now. The mechanics of book writing can seem mysterious, but they can be broken down, as can the logistical minefield of getting published. You need skills of the craft, but also practical advice from experts who've navigated the path. What's the arc to becoming an author? The value and peril of agenting, conducive editors, the formats to publish and ways to promote. Those writing adventurers who seek a personalized roadmap can submit questions to our weekly guest experts via Zoom. We'll speak with writers, agents, editors, teachers, coaches, publicists, publishers, resources, and guides to navigate the way for those of us brave enough to bring our story to life. Drop in to your book dream and begin to make it real. Welcome to Dropping In, everyone. Believe it or not, there have been some silver linings to the pandemic. Everyone's got their noses in books. Books Fluent reports that according to the New York Times article, Surprise Ending for Publishers, book demand increased beyond pre-pandemic levels in June 2020 as buying habits and stores transitioned. 2020 concluded with print sales up by 8%, audiobooks by 17% over the same period in 2019, and ebooks up more than 16% after several-year decline. We conclude that people are reading and people are writing. It's about dreams, writing to cope with many emotions, hearing others' stories, and now people just want to tell their own. Today, we drop in with storyteller and publisher Jen Hutchison of Journeys to Words Publishing. Jen will unravel some of the mysteries of writing and publishing as she launches herself into her latest role as teacher and guide. Welcome, Jen. Great to have you back with us. Thank you, Diane. Thank you. Welcome. I mean, uh, thank you for welcoming me, me across the Pacific. I'm, I'm uh, here in Melbourne, Australia. Well, it's brilliant of you, and thank you for getting up at 2 a.m. This is just <laughs> such a pleasure to it's have been you. It's hilarious. I, I thank you. I'm quite awake. And, uh, I feel as though caffeine has something to do with this. Okay, good. Well, let's start with some foundational definitions, because lots of roles are evolving. And um, we want to just understand from you firsthand what, what the role of a publisher is to a writer or an aspiring writer? Well, that's a jolly good question to kick off with. Thanks, Diane. The publisher, uh, the way I view this, uh, and I'm a micro-publisher, I'm a late entry to publishing, I established, I'm a mature-age writer, I've had a corporate career, I established Journeys Towards Publishing in 2018, specifically to focus on the work of mature-age writers. Uh, so I'm not, you know, Penguin Random House. I'm not uh, Alan and Unwin or one of the big boys at the top end of town. Uh, I'm a, a small publisher focused on a particular group, a particular demographic. But the way I see it is the publisher is the, the middleman. We are the journeyman of the book industry. We are the, the, um, the, the hands and feet that manufacture books that take a manuscript 
and make ensure that it's the best it can possibly be and turn it into the physical um, the physical product, which is the book. There are something like 22 or 24 consecutive and often um, uh, simultaneous practices that must all come together uh, in a smooth operation to create a book. We all walk into bookstores and we don't really take any notice of the fact that each book, first of all, it's got the heart and soul of a writer in it. Um, it's also uh, been been it's been through a very complex process to actually deliver it out of the print house and along the supply chain into a bookstore uh, or in a virtual a virtual um, version. So that is that is how I see publishers. Um, I'm not sure that the big houses would necessarily echo my thoughts. They would to a certain extent. Uh, but in simplest terms, we are the connecting point, the connecting process between the writer and the reader. Okay, so that gives us a good idea. Um, and you are, as a small press, um, an indie. You would be considered an indie publisher. You're able to make decisions autonomously. You have agency to decide which authors you are publishing. You're not beholden to a corporate formula or a board or even another, you know, board of editors. So that gives you a lot of nimbleness um, and freedom in the way you do your decision-making. Let, let's break it down a little bit further. Um, so I'm, I'm getting that, among other things, Jen, you're, you're offering a set of services um, in, that would include, for example, editing, design, distribution, what are the others? Am I missing something? I mean, but you're in the nurturing process when you first receive yes. a manuscript. Yes, um, good, um, good segue, Diane. We are quite different. And that, um, that, that smallness, in a way, and the nimbleness that it gives us uh, is, the, is the point of difference that we've got. But it's also because uh, the way we go about publishing is also quite specific to the demographic we service. Mature writers are often those who have come to, well, they most always um, have come to their writing later in life. They've had careers elsewhere. They've been mothers or homemakers. They've been bankers, doctors, uh, and so on. And the, the other set of writers um, are the, those who do creative courses from undergraduate onwards, and they are, in essence, uh, developed within the industry. Publishers, big, big house publishers have quite quite necessarily and deliberately and advisedly, advisedly have strong relationships with university campuses where they can select um, publishing is, in economic terms is, is uh, focused on what's called the long game. It, it may take 25 years for, you, for a publisher to get uh, the financial return from a young writer. But if they are nurtured and supported, uh, in various ways through their universities and through their through the industry activities, then over the over the twenty five years, uh, bestsellers may well be delivered. I mean, the bare financial facts of publishing are quite severe. Seven out of ten books will either flatline financially or fail. Uh, but over a period of time, if you back the right writers, three of those ten uh, will bring home 
bring home substantial returns uh, and will pay for all. It's a sort of pyramid. Um, you know, draw it like if you start with a big group and end up with a small group. Um, small indie publishers don't have that privilege. We can't burn money like that. So we, and also the demographic of mature age writer has not come up through that long game. And it's just the way the market works. Often they're locked out of opportunity with publishers. Um, mm-hmm. They don't get to, they don't get to get in the door. Often they have not had access to the same editing standards, uh, the same um, techniques and tools that publishers use to commercialise, called commercialising a manuscript, making sure it fits in its genre, making sure it speaks the contemporary language or whichever language of so on and so forth. And these are not things that are readily known. And it mm-hmm. took me 15 years of doing workshops and studying writing, studying studying publishing uh, to understand this and to put the put these things together in a group of masterclasses, which, which is where that whole idea uh, came into the publishing, into journeys towards publishing, of assisting writers through that process. Uh, and it's really, uh, it's, it's really been very effective because uh, this is a section of, a sector of writers that have not been well supported and have to go about it pretty much their own way. And these days, as you well know, um, I'm not sure about the American market, but the Australian market, just by as a little case study, there are something like 15,000... We're we're a small country, 25 25 million people, uh, but something like 15,000 books per month are released into the Australian market. So the the market is flooded uh, there are a lot more writers there than there are places for books on book on bookshelves, and so the competition, the competitive nature of having a manuscript considered, is much more difficult than it was twenty, thirty years ago, just by sheer volume of population numbers. Um, and and yes, there are different ways to read books now. Most bright, most readers I know have got three or four books on the go at the same time. That's very different in a contemporary setting. They they might be reading an e-book on their on a Kindle. They may well simultaneously when they're out for a walk be listening to a listening book on say Audible, uh, and they've usually got um, at least two um, uh, paperbacks sitting next to the bed as well as their newspapers and their magazines and, and so on. Mm-hmm. So avid readers have become more avid, uh, but I'm not, not completely convinced that a larger base is reading, certainly not in my country, but perhaps in yours. So big publishers uh, don't have the time to sort of slow down for a demographic, the mature age Russia demographic. And whilst... Um, while some of them get through, um, and it's getting better over the, over the years, uh, more older people uh, who are writing uh, write well and get access to the right sort of services and get into publishing, uh, get a, a land a publishing, sorry, land a publisher and get their books into the market. But it is still out of balance with other demographics. Uh, and, and so that's stepped into that breach really by accident, really because we could see what needed to be done but it wasn't being done and it's, it's a much bigger piece of work than just appointing an editor. It's, it's uh, it needing to work with the writer on the tools of writing and applying them to their work and teaching right. them things that once they know they can never unknow. So just transforming their writing into 
into a market-ready uh, yes. format. Right, because if you come to writing after, you know, as a second career or after uh, having had a career, you may know very well what you want to say, but not necessarily know how you should say it or how best to say it. Um, I'm wondering, too, I mean, a couple of things that you touched on, the demographic of baby boomers as readers um, I do find that we're avid readers, and sometimes the voices, right, we like to hear uh, commensurate voices in terms of voices that, of experience, voices of um, having lived, uh, voices of maybe having something to say, something more to say. And I find that a lot of young readers also appreciate older writers. Um, and I, I, I wondered if for you with Journeys to Words, um, I mean, I, I hear a couple different themes. One is the nurturing and educational aspect, which taps into developing writers, being a mentor, having that satisfaction. But it also, it also taps into unheard voices, voices that otherwise would be sidelined completely. Um, that we that we would never really hear from um, your book, for example, your your memoir that we talked about in another broadcast, Motherling. Um, it it mm-hmm. opened up an entire movement, Jen, that would have been untapped. Um, that of mothers who tragically have lost children, um, and that you know created a pathway to communication that with, say, a traditional publisher would not necessarily have happened. They don't want to touch the subject of grief. That's unpopular. So I guess my question is, motivationally for you, is it partly to hear some of these unheard voices? Um, it's a, that's a very interesting point. Um, not by design, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a seeker of those sort of subjects. I mean, muddling happened to me by accident. You know, it was caused, in a sense, by the death of my son. Uh, and, um, and let me just say, muddling is just has become the gift that keeps on giving. It's, uh, <laughs> I laugh still. Um, I thought I wrote a book about walking, about long-distance walking, uh, and I didn't at all. I've discovered over time I wrote a book about grief, um, and that's often... As a mature age writer, mature age writers don't understand what they've written, neither in in its strengths or perhaps in its weaknesses because they, like all writers, put their heart and soul into something. Um, So, you know, modelling's been very, very uh, good to the world and I'm incredibly humbled that it continues to... It's an evergreen uh, because, unfortunately, death happens to... To, um, to people of all ages and motherlings keep becoming motherlings um, uh, and this book is passed from person to person or somebody buys it, a woman will buy one and love it and want to keep it um, which is a real gift a second gift for me if you love because I'm like that if you love a book and you don't want to give it away uh, so they buy another one to pass on to a friend or a friend of a friend or a relative who has become a motherling um, but you've hit on you've hit on something quite interesting. So we don't go looking for for particularly grim or ex- exposing or personalised stories, but they come to us because when you are mature age, you reach a level of wisdom and an ability to to create introspection. Uh, and there is there is a common thread 
Uh, I call it truth in disguise. In fact, I'm almost, I've got one semester. This semester, I will be finishing my master's. And the theme of my research has been uh, truth and disguise. I've been doing an epistolary study uh, based on some letters, a decade of letters that I wrote to my mother. Uh, and that before her death, she gave back to me in a plastic bag and said, here, there might be something interesting for you. And she didn't keep, I'm one of six children. She didn't keep any of the other's letters. Uh, and I've, it's taken me into a, a very intimate study, which, um, which has led me to understand a lot more about what it is that mature age writers are interested. Uh, many of them have family histories. Uh, many of them have grown up in what I call a culture of silence. Uh, and yes. I think you interview, interviewed April Eberhard, literary agent, who's a dear friend and colleague of mine. Uh, and we've been discussing this a lot because we think there's, there is more help to be offered by helping uh, mature age writers understand and explore in their own settings what I call the culture of silence in families. It's quite common. I think you yourself, Diane, in your own book, uh, explored uh, truth and disguise um, yes. and and the culture of secrets in families. And breaking that culture of secrets is incredibly difficult. Um, well, not incredibly, it is incredibly difficult. Um, mm -hmm. And and often the, the act of writing is a cathartic one which puts like a great big lump of untrimmed meat, puts it on the table and then the skill, craft of writing, of polishing, of trimming, of helping it be the right shape. Um, that they, these are the these are the craft tools that we find uh, is um, is the gel that connects the initiative from the writer with what the market will accept as acceptable in this competitive, chaotic world. Now, big publishing houses don't have time for that. Mm -hmm. They they are. You know, they, they are competing in a, you know, there are now, it's like the consolidation of the publishing industry is taking hundreds of years, but it's happening. It's commodity, books are now commoditized. And uh, that's, that sort of makes the wheels turn very quickly. 50 years ago, 30 years ago, publishers, pub, big publishing houses had rooms full of editors who did this sort of, sort of work. It's very mm -hmm. rare now. These days, in your country, you cannot actually even submit a, ma a manuscript to a publisher without having an agent. So the biggest step, and often the most difficult, and for many, many writers, impossible, uh, is to um, to become part of a, an agent's stable. Yes. Um, the standards are very high. At least in Australia, many of the publishers will still take... Maybe, you know, what I was speaking with... Um, uh, a firm press here in Melbourne in recent weeks. Lovely two blokes, two two men, sorry, Australian. <laughs> two blokes means a fellow, a man, um, who've established a great publishing house. They're up to about 100 books a year and rocking. Um, and they have it one Monday a month that they will accept external manuscripts. Now, even, even that makes it very, very tough. Uh, the slush piles. And those publishers will hire interns out of master's yes. programs at university to assess those. And that's so, not fair on mature age writers. So there are all sorts of things happening at once, which I'm just cherry-picking of what the barriers are. In your country, it's even more difficult. I mean, April Everhart, like myself, works with writers over, takes the long game, 
works with them to make the manuscript the best it can be before you start, before the writer starts knocking on those doors. Jen, it's really, I mean, to me also, I feel very grateful to have come across April Everhart uh, as an agent, as a champion of um, defeating the the culture of silence. And we have been been the beneficiaries, and maybe that still is an untapped potential. We have to pause now for a commercial break. But when we come back, we'll continue talking about Jen Hutchison and breaking down these barriers of silence. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. She Writes Press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. The aim is to serve writers who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to Diane at DianeDewey.com. That's Diane at DianeDewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Jen Hutchison, who has graced our show with her presence at 2 a.m. What And, and making complete cogent sense. Um, I'm really so, um, so enormously grateful. I, I, I know that during the break, Jen, um, we talked about, again, this culture of silence. How, you know, let's say emerging later in life writers may not even know what their stories are going to reveal. It reveals the, to uh, themselves on the page as, as we're writing sometimes. And to have someone like you who is nurturing as a teacher, as a seminar leader, to have change agents like April Eberhardt, uh, people who are going to back you in the mystery and uncertainty of what we're actually trying to get at, um, it's really such an interesting process. And you asked me if I would allude to my own book, Fixing the Fates. I, I will do, um, only because timing-wise, it's 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 propitious moment. Fixing the Fates is coming out in audiobook um, in the next week or so. And I think... Oh. The, Yes, exciting. And as you say, we we boomers are walking around with all manner of books in our cars, in our, you know, the podcast, um, you know, the, the, in the hard copies. Um, I love what you said about giving books and not wanting to give them away. My shelves are overflowing. Um, but with Fixing the Fates, I did learn a lot about the culture of silence. Um, as my biological father was part of a previous generation, without a lot of 24-7 news, 
people felt that they could compartmentalize a lot better and more safely than now when your secrets might be revealed on social media. Um, there's a lot of internet searches that you know you can discover who your 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 siblings are. Your you know you can go on you can go on ancestry.com, and it's it's really a different world, a more vulnerable world. Whereas the secret keepers of previous generations could get away with it, and now you know the 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 baby boomer generation trying to sort through family secrets uh, and bring these to light so that their sharing of truth helps others uh, understand their truth. And it's a kind of a, it's kind of a contagion um, in the most positive sense. Uh, And I, I just have to also applaud you then for Journeys Towards Publishing uh, that you support this mission. It is an idealistic mission to undertake, uh, and yet it's an important one. So I also wonder then how your teaching, and full disclosure, I'm just about to participate later this year in one of your seminars, Jen, that I'm greatly looking forward to. How has your teaching and nurturing of other authors informed your work as a writer? How does it inform your work as a publisher? How are your roles interrelated um, as you interface with with these different uh, aspects of publishing? Oh, great set of questions, Diane. Thank you. Um, and, and yeah, and, and congratulations back to you. Um, the type of exploration that results in a book like Fixing the Fates is is not easy. It's not easy, but um, and, and, to, and to answer another question, this type of work has, has um, if I can say, it's found me rather than I've gone looking for it. I had a dream of being a publisher. I didn't really think through what type of publisher, but I wanted to be a publisher of books like that I like, um, and that's mainly people I'm just naturally attracted to. I mean, I have a family history of my own that, that is being unraveled uh, as I do more and more research. There'll be another book in that. Uh, so I've got a I've got a personal interest in in meaning in interpretation, uh, but they, so that's part of it. Uh, that's sort of how I I've not drifted, but just allowed myself to be carried along, uh, listening to other people's stories and and in a sense comparing them to my own. Um, but I've got a great belief that women have always gone to the well. And men have always gathered around the campfire. And families have always um, gathered and shared stories. This is an innate um, need of satisfaction in the human spirit for, for the development of self, for to be heard, to, where experience can be validated and reinforced by support and care from others and interpretation from others, where meaning for life. I was reading yesterday, actually... Um, the New Yorker um, new, um, article uh, about um, the what's her name the um, Min, Min Jin Lee the um, the Korean writer and she was talking about intergenerational aspects of being Korean in America mm-hmm. uh, and I, I know so many people where this culture of silence uh, which she was alluding to uh, although she was not naming it as such but the 
the, the culture, the intergenerational uh, um, outcomes, both negative and positive, of the culture within a family is so powerful in the search for meaning of your own life, of one's own life, that where that culture of silence has been uh, fraught for whatever reason, whether it, and it's, there is a whole raft of things that can be hidden within the culture of silence, things we know, we don't know why we know or how we know, but we just know we're not allowed to talk about, places we're not allowed to go in conversation or in, in values, um, behaviours we are not allowed to talk about. Children don't miss anything. They pick up that culture of silence and they carry it with them all their lives. And many people, um, it's quite, for many people, it's quite damaging. So I have... I have writers coming to me with stories that are absolutely heartbreaking, that, are, that they want to tell. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't always mean that it's going to end up as a published book. There's no guarantees. I mean, the market is the market. You can't, you can't squeeze something into or create a market for it. That's not the way supply and demand works in publishing or in any market. Um, but that doesn't mean that the writer shouldn't have the, the power to tell their story and the tools in which to format that story to the best of their ability. So the masterclasses, um, we don't work with beginners. That's a different sort of starting point. Um, people, we work with people who are having a go already, who have got a manuscript underway, who have, and we're not counsellors, we're not psychologists, so we can't, we're not healers. We are listeners and we, and we have tools that we feed to readers in the right in the right steps uh, at the appropriate time and we guide them and, and support them as they often go through quite painful processes uh, mm-hmm. but also joyous processes because this is a very empowering validation of your, your sense of knowing that something you've been through has been unfair and can be interpreted through a more mature lens and created into a story, turned into a story whether it's memoir or we also help people understand how, illumin- you know, how illuminating and releasing it can be when memoir becomes fiction. Um, mm-hmm. And we, we teach that process as well, if, if it seems appropriate. And this, this is a joyous thing. It's not about whether your book's published or not in the end. It's about whether your story's been beautifully told and how you feel about it. That's very empowering for the, for the teacher as well as for the student. And if... Um, and often when we get through that process, the book, the manuscript can become a book. The writer can become an author because the book will have a market. There'll be other voices who want to read. Uh, and so we then publish the book. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a passion project. Um, uh, April and I are developing um, uh, a series of workshops that are based around the theme of breaking the culture of silence. We're going to launch it in Hawaii next year. Um, uh, because there is such an untapped need for for this this focus. Um, so d- don't ask me what the business plan is, Diane. <laughs> <laughs> You'll find out. It's making it's making me. Yeah, it's not. I'm not making it. It's making me. But this is is this deals worthy? Uh, it's the right thing to do. It is indeed. And when you look at well, look at the run up to even the Black Lives Matter movement, the number of uh, writers, Toni Morrison comes to mind, certainly Maya Angelou, Mm -hmm. 
the number of writers who had to begin by looking at African-American life through their own lens and not through the white lens. So that when Mm. you're empowering people this way, you are in fact, you know, changing the focus of the lens from the outsider looking in to the insider coming out and expressing their story in their own context and defining themselves, whether that's women um, not defining themselves through the lens of the male gaze or, you know, any other um, group uh, and and people who are challenged by the culture of silence uh, are many. So I think if you and April are doing this work, and I hope that people listening will be able to um, access, you know, contact you about, you know, how, how we might engage, how we might for ourselves break down these barriers. Um, do you accept, you know, contact then through Journeys to Words yes, publishing through your website? Yes, of course. That, that's the yes. best way. Yes, through the web, Journeys to Words, plural, Journeys to Words Publishing.com. Very easy. And, and, and there are, uh, under the submission, in the submissions area of our website, there is a, a, a series of steps that writers can use to make contact and they can sign up to our newsletters and so on and so forth. We're, we're a little community. Um, but there is a lot of interest. I mean, some writers, some writers and, and some readers are not interested in this type of work or this type of material, and that's absolutely fine. But I find it quite amazing in contemporary literature. The thread of self-actualization is so powerful and so prevalent in so many ways in different types of stories, uh, whether it's a crime novel or, or a powerful personal memoir from a, from a celebrity self-validation, self-actualization, the understanding of your own pathway in your own life is something that is a very powerful driver uh, in creativity. And as Maya Angelou said, said, I quote it to my, to my classes, um, what is that thing she says about, um, the thing about creativity is you never use it up. I'm paraphrasing, the more you use it, the more there is. That's right. And it's wonderful. It, it, yeah. it is it is the deep well. It is the well, the well that a, yeah. a lot of people draw from. I, I really particularly like what you just said uh, about it doesn't necessarily need to be a memoir. There is a freeing aspect to writing creative fiction or autobiographical fiction. And as April often says, there are a lot of hybrid categories now to to work that you know the the bl- their blurred lines as there are in many um, you know paradigms breaking down and the idea of a crime novel uh, allowing an author to make sense is very resonant. Um, I've just worked with a person um, in a coaching capacity who is do- doing just that and and breaking down psychology of uh, serial killers to understand you know, the evil that resides in us, a lot of themes that, you know, when we try to understand our history and history going forward, we need to kind of, you know, get a grip on. Um, So there's a lot of ways that you can do meaning making through fiction and through other genres. So I guess that leads me to the question of then are you, as I'm taking it, then, Jen, you are embracing of many genres when you're looking at manuscripts or when you're accepting 
say students, um, students, you know, not not out of the gate, but people who have a background, that you're you're looking across the board at many genres and maybe redefining genres yourself. Yes, we we don't make decisions about about um, genres. We the writing itself and the writer is in charge of that. We will guide and we will offer options and help them to explore uh, what what. What, what different voices, you know. The, the, the underlying common, the building block that all of this sits on is the sense, the sense of the story. It's all about story. Uh, I can remember, when I, um, I still have an unpublished manuscript that I still work on from time to time. And I went to the um, Writer's Digest conference in New York. This is years ago, about eight years ago. And I met Stuart Horwitz, who is the author of Book Architecture. Stuart was in Rhode Island. He now lives in California, but he's got a very big following and he's very clever about how to structure a book. Uh, and uh, he's become a dear friend. And I, I submitted a manuscript to him and we worked on it across the Pacific on, on Zoom um, back and forth for a year, year and a half. And he begged me in that process, I thought it was a memoir, and it was, and he he made me understand what the essence of the story was, and and it's it stuck with me, and I now teach it to other people. What's the point here? What is it that's driving you? What's at the base of this story? And what can happen in a memoir, which is you know the difference between memoir in the simplest terms, as everybody knows, is in memoir you're committed to telling the truth, and in fiction you're committed to telling lies on every page. Um, mm-hmm. And when you've got a memoir and you, can, and you really understand what the essence of that story is, if you bring it right back to one phrase, such as truth and disguise or um, a culture of silence or breaking a culture of silence, if, you can, if, you can, if your creative um, internal muse can take you uh, to the possibility of that memoir becoming uh, fiction, you can lose a whole lot of characters who were in the memoir because they were really, you know, it happened to me. I had a, a, a younger brother in my story and Stuart kept saying, well, what's he there for? I said, because he was there. He was <laughs> my brother. He is my brother. And Stuart said, yeah, but he's not part of the story. Oh, you know, that was an epiphany for me. And it was yes. the beginning of a process of understanding that the story is the power. Right. And the story is, doesn't have a genre. The story finds a genre as it right. develops. So it's, often oh. we are helping readers to understand what they've written. It's the first step of understanding. It There's no use polishing second-class material. It's, you, it need is, to, you need to yes. find out the value. Jen Hutchinson, very, very important to discover the essence, no matter how you describe it, the takeaways, the themes, the, you know, when you reduce it to the, the it's, its kernel, its live living kernel. I, I think this is such an Im- interesting conversation. We do have to pause for a commercial break. When we come back, we are going to talk about um, the rules of writing because as Somerset Mom said, there are three rules to writing a novel. Unfortunately, no one knows what they are. Don't go away. We'll come back <laughs> yes. with Jen Hutchison on Dropping In. Voice 
America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion, representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit booksforward.com or send us an email at info at booksforward.com. A JKS Communications Company. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to diane at dianedewey.com. That's diane at dianedewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Jen Hutchison, author of Motherling and publisher of Journeys in the Journeys to Words Publishing company. Jen is a very dynamic, I'm reading now from the Journeys to Words um, website, which is very informative and gives examples of writers that Jen has published. You're a very dynamic and capable 60-something-year-old who has succeeded at a number of careers, but in 2012, Jen's world imploded when her 31-year-old son, Rafe, died of an accidental drug overdose. Motherling is her story of how she walked the 800-kilometer Camino de Santiago through France and Spain with his ashes as she attempted to come to terms with his death. Many women are happily going quietly into retirement in their late 60s, but not Jen. Instead, she launched publishing this publishing services house, Journeys to Words Publishing, working with mature age writers to hone their craft. This brings us back to where we were before the break, Jen, and understanding your philosophy of writing and how you help writers. Let's hear a little bit about that. Well, um, yeah, great segue, Diane. Thank you. Because we, um, and I must say, we hadn't discussed this in advance, but this is, um, I'm very grateful that you've brought this up because we, I take quite a different approach. Um, I, as I said earlier, I, I spent 15 years um, really, I committed myself to, to writing and learning the craft of writing in 2010. I, um, I rewarded myself with a, a writing retreat in Paris with a fabulous woman in Australia who's known as the Queen of Memoir. Her name is uh, Patty Miller. And, mm-hmm. um, and that was the beginning of my journey. Uh, and it was all about memoir. I didn't really know what I was, what I was going to write about. But anyway, it's, there's, a, there's a very direct thread between the, the things that I uncovered in that intense getaway uh, and, um, and the truth and disguise, the culture of silence and breaking the culture of silence thread that I'm now following. And in that 15 years, I've been down every rabbit hole there is to go down um, in terms of the craft of writing. I've listened to fabulous people and I've, um, and I've been to some pretty ordinary stuff too. 
And what's come out of that when, it, when it's now my, been my turn to go to other writers, um, particularly those in, in my own age group, although, although I, have a, I have a mature age writer who's a doctor and she's 35, uh, and that to me is a mature age writer because it's, it's something that she's carrying as a hobby in another career. Um, uh, so we don't sort of, you know, we don't have an age barrier. But I did gently tell a 16-year-old just recently that I really think thought that she wasn't quite what, uh, we aren't quite what she needs. Um, mm-hmm. But what I do with, with writing, the journey to improving writing, is to take what I call a minimalist approach. And a very simple exercise, I get people to take a, a sheet of paper and down the left-hand side make a vertical column and in that vertical column they, they write uh, who, when, where, why, what and how. And in a column in the middle, I, write, I get them to put a second vertical column, sight, sound, touch, taste, smell, intuition, the sixth sense. And on the right-hand side, I get them to put another vertical column that has character, dialogue, scene, tension, resolution. And across the bottom, in capital letters, uh, underneath all of those lists, I get them to write in capital letters, language. And I put an arrow to the right of that, and I get another little vertical column that says flow, anticipation, reveal, withhold. And that's it. Mm-hmm. That's storytelling. And the light in people's faces is absolutely astonishing and it, that's why I keep doing it. I stumbled over it and I just keep doing it because that is storytelling. That's all you've got, every single word in the English language and you've only got who, when, where, why, what, how. You've only got, you can only describe those things in via sight, sound, touch, taste, smell and intuition, which is reflection and you can only make your, as a master marionetteer, um, you can only make those marionettes work through developing character, dialogue, scene, tension, and resolution. And you apply language, the best language you know how. Uh, and the outcome of that, big arrow to the bottom of the page, fabulous storyteller. Uh, and that, at the beginning, helps people understand that they are in charge, uh, that they can do this, um, that this is something that they can pick up and go back to, and I, I give them a laminated sheet with this with these columns, and say, "Don't ever lose it. It's in my handwriting. Don't lose <laughs> it. This is yours to keep. Stick it on your fridge. And every time you think of a story, think of how it feels. Can you touch it? Can you? How would you write it? What happened to it? Who happened? Who? Who did this happen to? Where? When did it happen? Where did it happen? Why? And what happened to them? What happened next? So on. So it, it's and that minimalist approach has cleared away, cleared the decks of all the sort of white noise of um, probably a couple of hundred good teachers, but uh, weren't quite getting there. Uh, and this little magic formula gets people to a starting block that they weren't familiar with. And they realize how far down the track they are and how powerful they are because these are the tools they use in their life every day. Every time they open their mouth, every time they read, they're using the tools uh, that are associated with those very simple lists, that were that very simple overall list. Well, 
I'm looking forward to our experience together, Jen. That, that I mean, just <laughs> just because you know you do reach a point in your life uh, where you do want to reduce, you do want to eliminate clutter, you do want to be Marie Kondo, you do want to simplify. Mm. And while it's been enjoyable reading the stack of books I have on writing, there is a need for a hands-on approach that's accessible to everyone. Lest anyone think it's just that easy as those lists, I would suggest that being in a room with Jen and also can you comment on the dynamic of being in the room with others, other ears, other voices, other interpreters, other intuitors, um, and what that dynamic does in terms of now that we're, you know, creeping back to in-person writers' gatherings, what's the dynamic involved and the alchemy involved in sharing? Uh, It's very powerful. I've been surprised over the years to see, and I probably I've been there myself, to see how otherwise completely confident and competent people uh, in, in, in other aspects of their lives don't believe in themselves as a creative. Oh, I'm not, I, have, I was never the creative one in my family. Mm-hmm. I did it much to myself. I can remember saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not the creative one. But, but I was creative. I just didn't know it. Um, and I didn't, uh, who don't trust their own creativity, who don't listen, who think there's, it's just their monkey mind chattering at them. But it's, it, it, and don't understand that if they harness them, if they harness that, and yes, a lot of it might be monkey mind chatter, but there are gems in there that when you wake up at two o'clock in the morning having this dynamic dream, you might just be being delivered from some sort of spiritual part of the ether, uh, a storyline. Um, mm-hmm. And but you, you've got to listen. You've got to be aware and you've got to believe in yourself. And the thing that happens when you put individuals, so many of them who don't, they apologize for their writing when they arrive. At a, I've got two intensive weekends coming up here in Victoria, uh, in Australia, and I know that half the room will apologize to me for their writing within the first half hour of us all getting together. By the end of the weekend, they'll be on fire. They can't wait to get, get into this, and I'll hear from them during the week. That, because what we teach them, you can't unknow it. It's going to inform your writing it becomes part of your subconscious and you're going to self-correct and you're going to apply the tools. You're going to know about your characters. You're going to go through this, Diane, with me um, when we get together in the middle of the year. I'm so excited. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I, I really, I would urge anyone that's at the tipping point or teetering at the edge of how do I tell my story? First thing, attend attend a seminar. Some are still by Zoom, that works too, but there's nothing like being in the in the you know the immediate exchange and the chemistry of being with people as we well know. We just have a couple of minutes until our close. I would say something to um, Jen Hutchison, what a dream it's been to speak with you. And I think one of the things you're talking about as well is is developing a writer's voice, that confidence in uh, not not just what they're saying, but the way of delivering, their means of delivering. Louise Erdrich, one of my favorite uh, novelists, talks about how she got to her fifth book before she felt she she really 
discovered her voice. And I think that's part of your passage too, that you're really maybe helping to formulate all of these components so that someone feels, I've got a voice, I've, I've got agency. Um, and I just want to congratulate and, and you. And it's unique. And yes. it's unique. And it's not just a voice. It's unique. It's, it's mine. It, it, it gives me meaning. I can use it to help others see my meaning. It's a very powerful thing, and it's wonderful to watch, to watch people and to share with them, with, with the medium of their writing, how, um, how satisfying it is for them to take their writing from ordinary to extraordinary, often. It just right. sounds like such a Why wonderful dynamic. Why wouldn't I be dynamic. doing this? Why wouldn't I be doing this? <laughs> right. It, it, just, it just sounds like such a rewarding um, and engaging process and so connective, like connecting people uh, in, with themselves and, and with one another. Um, you know, it's just been a joy to have you, Jen Hutchison. You write in Motherling. I wanted to explore the depth and breadth of my own company and thoughts, wallow in my fears, to explore new emotional pathways, relive in my mind, my son's life and my own. I think that is such a talisman, these exploring new emotional emotional pathways. Um, It's part of the experience of working with you and April in the workshops as well. Again, for our listeners, for more information, it's journeystowordspublishing.com. And Jen Hutchison, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much, Diane. The gift is mine. Thank you. It's just a delight. So um, when Jen's not, not writing and publishing, she swims, does long distance walking and skis in Japan every northern winter. Who wouldn't want to know such an interesting person? You can also connect with Jen, JTW Publisher, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And it's great to know you. We look forward to what's next on the horizon Um, As Brene Brown says, we are the authors of our lives and we write our own daring endings. Thank you, Peregrina Jen Hutchison, for being with us. Thanks to our engineers, Matt Widener and Aaron Keller, to our executive producer and station manager, Robert Cialino, and most of all, to you, our listeners. Remember to stay safe and author the story of your life. Till next week, thank you for dropping in. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then.